Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Everybody and welcome as the Chairshot Radio Network brings you the reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. Kind of convenient how that works out. I'm your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host Tony Acero. What up, Tony? People are yes. stupid. Well. I had a package stolen from my front door on Friday. Is that so? There's a camera literally four feet away from where the person took the package. <laughs> my guess... I'm sorry to hear about your loss. I already got my stuff back. Hey, did you go fight for it? No, I didn't have to. My neighbor was pissed when he found out that his guest took it and went and got it himself. That's good, because if not, you might have to fight and have to, you know, take part in a match that stipulates an eye for an eye. We got a lot to get to and not a ton of time to get to it. You want to get started? Yeah. Are you ready to convey your thoughts on The Undertaker yet? We gave you an extra week, Tony. No. Will that be done in oratory form or written form? Probably written. Who knows? I'll know tomorrow. Which is code for he's going to stonewall us again next Monday, folks. Looks like it. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about the two major... Uh, major happenings over on SmackDown. We start with our opening contest as it's a bro versus Jomo. And they actually had a hell of a show. I'll stop now. I'll leave the writing to you, Tony. Overall, I actually really enjoyed this contest here. I think that their styles match really well because Morrison works more of that independent style now, especially with him having been gone from the WWE for as long as he was. And Riddle, while starting to work a closer to WWE style, still has the kind of hitches and giddy-ups that you would see from an independent wrestling performer. I thought that Jomo and uh, Riddle matched really well. What did you think of the opening with the segment with Riddle and Corbin? As apparently Corbin has dictated that he won't face Riddle until Riddle has some actual screen time in WWE. And then the actual contest between Matt Riddle and John Morrison. Uh, so I love the match. I really do. Uh, 
I think John Morrison has always had the same issue with me personally, and it looks at some of his moves can come off as incredibly choreographed, which kind of takes away from the match. Um, but it didn't take away a lot because it was still a really good contest. Riddle is fresh enough both in move set and character that it comes off as a fun, you know, match where he's both uh, interested in having a good time but also willing to, you know, beat some ass if necessary. <clears throat> it also looks like he's trying, which is good because the last time, I mean, the last few times we've gotten call-ups from NXT, they haven't been great. Um, there wasn't a story involved. There wasn't a reason for them to be there. There wasn't any reaction to them debuting, both on the character's part and on the show. So this is a nice change of pace where it actually matters that he's here. Uh, With his first feud being Corbin, I mean, I'm not 100% sold on it simply because Corbin is Corbin, but he's enough of a heel for it to matter if if and when Riddle beats him. So all in all, I'm okay with this. Not to mention, we've kind of talked about this over the course of the last couple of months here on the show as well, that Corbin seems to and Corbin seems to fare better against smaller opponents, and I think Riddle could be another example of a smaller guy that gets a good match out of Corbin, too. Yeah, possible. <clears throat> because we've seen Corbin have really good matches against guys like Brian and Gulak and, to a lesser extent, against Gable. And I think Riddle was somebody who body-wise matches up well with most of those guys. They're probably Gulak the most of all, but his style is much more exciting than Gulak's is, which I think will translate to a better match. Yeah. I think it's going to be fine, to be honest with you. It's just um, Corbin's just got that stink on him that's almost impossible to lose. Mostly it's because of the promo work that he does, where it just it doesn't come off all that realistic or there's no, like, legitimacy to his claims, you know, it's it just, it's weird. And since when was he able to make matches, you know? Well, he used to make them all the time on Raw, but I'm guessing we're not counting that. No. I did but appreciate the continuity. It was small things, yeah. I, I did, I was about to say, I did appreciate the continuity of Cole bringing that up while Corbin was on commentary for the match, asking Corbin yes. how you got to make this match after you basically ran Raw into the ground. Yeah, that was... Let's rough time. Let's continue on here. In a recent trend over on SmackDown, Bailey has been forcing Sasha into matches. Well, in a bit of a turnabout on SmackDown this week, the roles were reversed as Sasha accepted a match for Bailey against Alexa Bliss. Hold on, I'm really what the hell? Oh, there we go. Okay, sorry, lost my spot. I'm I'm getting back to it. In the end, Bailey picks up a disqualification victory after Nikki Cross <clears throat> gets involved here, but it does kind of seem to tease a little bit that Sasha's willing to play Bailey's game, even if Bailey doesn't realize that Sasha's doing it. Do you like the added layer of the story that ba- that Sasha's willing to stoop to Bailey's level of accepting challenges or issuing challenges in this instance? For Bailey, much the same way Bailey has been doing to Sasha over the last couple of months. This is a really weird fold, only because I feel like it's inconsistent, <clears throat> um, especially over you know like on Raw, it just didn't happen again. If it's consistent, if she does it like a, a another time or two, then it's kind of this tit for tat thing where there's a little bit of shade getting thrown from Sasha's point of view, and that makes sense and it works and it is in line with Sasha's character. Um, she's doing a lot of little nods that kind of stand out, like wearing Bailey's belt on her waist as opposed to just holding it. And, you know, the looks that she's giving, I don't know. If they're doing 
if she's doing a slow burn and she's doing the little things that matter, then it's going to come off great. But if it's just a one-off thing, then it's kind of pointless because we already have the story being told. We don't need it hammered over our head. <clears throat> um, I mean, obviously, whatever gets Sasha on TV, I'm going to be happy about. Uh, so I, I don't have many complaints. Uh, with the segment specifically, the only thing I disliked was bringing up The Undertaker, um, not because I have a soft spot for him, simply because it doesn't, it didn't match the characters. Like, they're not, you know, they're not haters of former wrestlers. They're not people that are, like, you know, trying to push out retirees or anything. In fact, they come off more of wrestlers that respect former wrestlers. So it, it came off as a cheap ploy to get heat, and it came off even cheaper because we saw it the week before. So it just didn't fit. But that's a minor gripe compared to what we're getting right now. I think my biggest issue with it was the fact that it came off more like something the Iconics would have done rather than Bailey and Tasha. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't even think the Iconics were. The point is, there's no reason for it, and they just did it last week. Like, there's, it's, it's cheap heat for the sake of cheap. It's lazy. That's what it is. So even if the Iconics did it, I'd have the same complaint. It doesn't fit what these characters have been portrayed to be. It's literally done to get the easy boo. And who's going to boo you? It's the performance center. Like, it's not even, it's just dumb. AJ Styles defends the Intercontinental Championship against Drew Gulak this week. Um, Real quick, before you discuss the match, I want to give a special shout-out to Gulak. I don't know if you caught it or not. Did you happen to notice Gulak's wrist tape? Uh, I think it said Havoc on it. Rest in peace, Grant Birkeland, a.k.a. Daniel Tiberius Havoc. Um, not a lot of people know this. I don't talk about it a ton. I'm a deathmatch guy. I know there are a lot of people who aren't, and that's okay. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But one of the very first deathmatch wrestlers that I got into was one Danny Havoc. He passed away from heart failure earlier this year at the age of 34. What did you think of Styles and Gulak for the Intercontinental title? So there were a couple of things that I talked about in the report. Um, the fact that it was a match that was given time was great. And Gulak is awesome. Uh, the only unfortunate thing is that I didn't really, you don't really realize it until you give these people time that um, some characters aren't fully believable due to what you've done to them in the past. So it never really matters until it does. Gulak is a perfect example of that because in this match, you never once thought he was going to take the belt. And that's not his fault nor is it AJ Styles' fault. The match itself, on a wrestling standpoint, was solid. But in terms of believability, you never once thought it was going to go down, you know, with Gulak winning. Um, my major gripe that I had was the Zoom call that Brian had. It just came off as unnecessary, and it, it did not, I did not once feel like Daniel Bryan was actually watching the match that I was watching, which is what they sold it as. So it came off kind of as cheap. I mean, I thought they got rid of Pout. So I didn't. I wasn't a fan of that. <clears throat> Although one can forgive it, considering it's a coronavirus issue, Daniel Bryan most likely would have been there on commentary, doing exactly what he did with the videos. So it's like I can't dismirch them for trying, but I can point out that their effort did not really land. See, I was okay with the Bryan interaction there because they kept the, they kept the questions to Bryan general enough that he could answer them without having to be in the arena there. It was more telling Gulak's story rather than address the match. 
I just don't like the way they sold it. They literally said that he's watching the match alongside with me and then asked questions where it was almost obvious that he wasn't. Well, I don't disagree with the presentation, but I do think that Brian's contributions from it were well enough to justify his participation. They were great. Doesn't justify the delivery. I just don't like I don't like being lied to. That's fair. Shinsuke Nakamura. Shinsuke Nakamura and Kofi Kingston as we continue to build towards Sammy's guys. They, Shinsuke and Cesaro need a name. They need a team name, and they needed it like yesterday. This particular this particular match sees Shinsuke pick up the victory with a. Cole called it a running knee. Tony calls it a running knee inside of his report. It was actually a Kinshasa. I was disappointed that Corey did not call it because that's what it was. Regardless, do you like the fact that they're doing the tag team title match this Friday rather than at the pay-per-view? I mean, I think the reason why I don't like it is because even after all these years of proof that pay-per-views are a thing of the past. We still have this mentality, and I know I that's why I'm admitting to it, that big matches happen on big events. So seeing it next week probably means that there's going to be interference and it's not going to go as long as possible, and then we're going to get it at Extreme Rules. And I just feel like that's a, that's a lazy way out. You know, there, There's so much more you can do. Um, Shinsuke and Cesaro, Shinsuke needed this win, obviously, um, they've been floundering for quite some time. And it's weird to know that it wasn't that long ago when he was, that he was the Intercontinental Champion, and he still comes off as, like, you know, got a little bit of jobber sank on him. Like, facing Kofi, you don't believe he's going to beat Kofi, and he really should beat him with ease. Um, so, I don't know. I think that what I, what I, what I want to see, and <clears throat> I'm flirting really, really, Our main really event segment to- is, you still with me? Yeah, I'm here. I think we broke up a little. Our main of um, go ahead. Were you done with that uh, sh- with the Shinsuke Kofi match? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to agree with you that I think we get some kind of screwy finish this Friday on SmackDown because I do think that, and you talk about it in the SmackDown report. Which where can people find that, by the way? 411mania.com, where I'm backslashing everywhere. <laughs> Back backslash wrestling, and yet Tony is on that site like the Rona. Yeah, man. But, um, um, you know what's funny? A slight aside is um, never before have I gotten so much flack for doing too much work. Like, one person literally told me last week that I need to stop saying one, two, no for every pinfall. When the reality is I'm recapping exactly what's happening. It's a weird dichotomy with the live report where everybody seems to be my biggest fan, and then just the standalone report where everyone feels that I'm ridiculous for rating eight stars Sasha matches, where I don't have the credibility that Larry once had, where I don't review enough. And it's just, not that I, I mean, you know me, my skin is so thick that there's nothing that's going to hurt my feelings. Um, it's just interesting to see the complete change in, um, in comments from the live report to the people that read it just to know what happened on Raw. Can I make a suggestion? You could. I'm most likely not going to follow it. Throw out more what-a-maneuvers. (laughs) 
or or um, what was it? The Falcon Arrow. Right? He did the deed. <laughs> he did the deal. No one kicks out yeah. of the Falcon Arrow. See, that's the, the thing. Yeah. Is, like that. I'm never gonna say that. It was Larry's thing. And before Larry's, it was Excalibur's, and I know that's where he got it from. I mean, you know me. I've seen one too many PWG shows and been to them. So, like, I get where it comes, but I feel like that was Larry's thing. And literally the only thing I'm ever going to copy from him is the green text and also not rating matches under three minutes because that's more of an homage, not like a copy. That's also more of a, if they can't put enough effort into this match to give it more than three minutes, I'm not going to take the time to rate it. Right, and that's pretty much where he was coming from with that. I believe he said that they weren't worth his time rating in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out yeah. to Christy and the girls. We're thinking about you still. We miss you, Larry. Yeah, for sure. I'm still defending his ass. <laughs> um, I will admit, though, <laughs> that there are some matches that are under three minutes that are fucking bangers. It's rare. It's so rare. But it's just, you know, sometimes you'll get that gem. Okay. I will throw something out for people. It's not under three, but it is under five. Anybody listening to this show that can hear the sound of my voice, I highly recommend that you guys go to the WWE Network and check out King of the Ring 1994. Owen Hart and X-Pac, the 1-2-3 kid at the time, have a four-and-a-half-minute match that is just balls-to-the-wall action. I mean, it's Owen and Pac. You kind of know what you're going to get. You just wish it lasted longer. Because I, I always thought that their matches um, towards Owen's later years were kind of disappointing, if I'm being honest. Because we knew what they were capable of, and they never really reached that level of expectation. All right, so enough about wrestling from 20 years ago. Let's get back to wrestling from three nights ago. Main event segment is Jeff Hardy being toasted by Sheamus. Boy. Oof, ice, eef, sometimes wife. Like, I get what they're trying to do here. But what, what point does Seamus have to care about Jeff Hardy anymore? He beat him clean as a, he beat him clean as a whistle at a, um, Money in the... What was the last? Was it Money in the... All these fucking pay-per-views are running together. Whatever the last pay-per-view was, Sheamus beat Jeff clean as a whistle. And now, apparently, Sheamus is taking it upon himself to continue things with Jeff Hardy, including offering a toast and a poem, ridiculous as it may have been, while having a bartender inside of the ring to serve Hardy what looked to be a really cheap glass of champagne. Hardy dumps the champagne on the waiter's head and then breaks a bottle over the back of his head, no truth to the rumor that it was a little bit of the bubbly before hitting a swanton bomb and staring down Seamus on the trod. Tony, what the fuck? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this segment because you already know how I feel. Um, just dumb all, all the way around. I mean, from the quote-unquote bartender that was apparently Seamus' friend putting a champagne glass, like, so close to Jeff Hardy's nose that he could snort it to just the fact that that, like, I don't I don't know anybody that would willingly do that. Um, or even Jeff, like, okay, so Jeff throwing the champagne or whatever he was poured, 
um, onto the bartender is rude but believable because here you are, a recovering alcoholic, trying to be forced to drink liquor. So I get that that's upsetting. But in what world is it okay for you to just hit a swanton bomb onto a bartender? Um, <laughs> like, it's just, it comes out, and so another one of those issues where the I face like- um, just comes off as, like, you're kind of a dick, bro. <laughs> I feel like he would be more offended by the bartender getting the bottle smashed over his head. Let it be known that bartenders are not to be physically assaulted. Right, Tony? You know, sometimes and shit happens, and it's just part of the job. But I will say, a man slipping off of a high, an elevated situation onto me um, simply because I try to offer him a drink is not something that I can, you know, just be okay with. Um, but that's even, that's even quick- joking. Realistic. Story just sucks. It's just, I mean, like I've said, I I feel like we've seen this redemption story with Jeff Hardy. Oh, can you tell me a storyline that is different than that that we've seen of Jeff over the last like what, eight years maybe? Every single time he's shooting with someone, this is longer than that. Like, like this is the reason. Like, you would think that he's been redeemed, you know, um, each time. But I don't know. It's just fun, interesting. You're mentioning this kind of tongue-in-cheek about the whole eight-year thing. It goes even back further than that. You remember the CM Punk feud in 2009? Same fucking difference. Yeah. Uh, that was 2009. Jesus. I know. We're getting old. <laughs> By the way, if you try to hit Tony with a champagne bottle at Bronx, you're banned for life. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the reason. Sometimes it's all in good fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Tony deserves to be hit with a champagne bottle. I feel like Sophia would agree with that. How much of an asshole I was at work. I I don't know how I get away (laughs) with what I... The last thing to discuss from this episode of SmackDown is the Wyatt Swamp fight. And there's a specific reason I saved this for last. Are we reaching the point of overkill on the cinematic matches, Tony? Here's the thing. I don't think we have necessarily. I think that the WWE will. I think that it's it's very, very easy to make these a staple of the wrestling world, but the WWE found out that we like them. And you know what happens when the WWE finds out we like something? They fucking oversaturate it. They push it way too hard. They do a horrible job. So I feel that this is not going to be nearly as entertaining as any of the previous ones we've seen, simply because we really enjoyed the Boneyard match, and some of us enjoyed the Firefly match. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm all for, you know, being surprised, but just judging by what we're seeing, uh, I don't know. Poor Braun, like, his, his reign is not – he's become a character. He's become a product from the train sounds the minute his music hits to – you know, I'm I'm sure there's a you know action figures. I'm sure there's an action figure out there with a pre-flipped ambulance or something. Like it's just not. Okay. Nah. I I can actually take that a step further, Tony. You know, I'm a huge action figure guy. Yep. They actually had a Braun Strowman action figure that came with an ambulance you could disassemble. Oh my god! So I was not far off at all. <laughs> I will send you. I will... <laughs> I will send you the picture once we're done with the show. Because, of course, Harry has it. <laughs> I, I don't because, okay. well, fuck Braun Strowman. I have one Braun Strowman figure, and it was bought and for me by one of my friends. I will not spend money on that asshole. 
as a slight aside, do you know, like, do they get paid because of their likeness, like, per figure, or do you think they have, like, a contract that allows I can answer that question right now. Yes, they get they get a cut for every action figure of theirs that sells, which is why a lot of the superstars have a bunch of repaints and stuff because it's written into their yeah. contract that they get a cut of their merch. Okay. But um, figure, Harry. just don't buy me a Braun Strowman action figure, Tony. We won't be friends anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna get a Harry Broadhurst action figure. Complete with a head pen yeah. and a patchable beard. Oh, it's actually funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> I, I have a custom Harry Broadhurst action figure. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but does it have a detachable beard? It does not have a detachable beard, but the hair is painted brown and gray the correct way. It's definitely got the whole... It's definitely got the whole salt and pepper thing I have going on right now. <laughs> nice. All right, so back to um, <clears throat> back to the swamp fight here. I think my biggest issue with it is okay, it's non-title, which I'm fine with because frankly, something like this shouldn't be for the title anyway. But are you doing a disservice? To the WWE Championship by having it in a match that that's non-title like this. I mean, uh, if this were a normal situation where a virus wasn't destroying the world, well, now just the country, um, then I would probably say yes. But the the rules have changed just a little bit because, like, I I tend to be a bit more lenient on the decisions that they're making, um, only because of the situation at hand. We have they have to do something. They can't just stop creating stories. And although the energy that they put in can be somewhat lacking, um, I feel like there's also a necessity to like pause any big time stories and just kind of play around a little bit while you're in this problem uh, period. And I think that sometimes they are. You know, there's a reason why there's prolonged storylines now instead of like wrapping them up already. Um, and I think that this is one of them where maybe with a crowd and all that, this wouldn't have happened, but, you know, because there isn't one, this isn't too bad of an idea. Um, I just think the executions are, aren't all that great. And I think that this is one of them. So no, I don't think it's discrediting the title. I think that that happened far before this match. Um, Braun just isn't really coming off as a champion. And again, that's not his fault. Um, I mean, look at his, quote-unquote, challenges that he's had. They're not really challenges. I owe you an apology, Tony. It was not an ambulance. It was a Corvette. Oh, okay. Well, still, it's a vehicle. I mean, he slipped quite a few. Oh. Hold on. I'm actually sending you the image because I want to get your reaction on air. And it's the show name. Check your Facebook Messenger, Tony. All right, I'm on it. Oh dear! <laughs> like that level it of breaks fighter in, where you just break up the car. It breaks into the car breaks into like ten different pieces. <laughs> it's basically a jigsaw puzzle with an action figure. Perfect. 
I don't dislike the idea behind doing Wyatt and Strowman in the swamp because it makes sense given their history, given the fact that Strowman came into the WWE as a member of the Wyatt family and the Wyatt family came into the WWE's presence through the, through the process of being in the, the swamp vignettes. That being said, yeah. I take issue with the championship being involved in this kind of an angle. Even though the match is non-title, it's still the universal champion that's involved in the match. And I think that that does a disservice to the title itself. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I understand that. It's one of those, it's similar to when I'm, like, upset that a person has a title and, you know, it's basically a secondary piece. It's a prop when someone else could very well use it to, you know, elevate themselves. So I understand that. Um, I just you know, I have a soft spot for Bray when he's in his zone, and this is one of those times where I think he's coming off as I don't. know, It's really weird to see some of some comments and some people and fans not really like where he's going or you know why is he back to the Hawaiian shirt, Bray? But I mean, in in a lot of ways, that's Bray Wyatt. Like he's gonna mind fuck you, and if he can't beat you know Braun as the sweater wearing Bray, then of course he's gonna go back to his history. So I enjoyed it. So I enjoyed the promo. I don't think I'm going to enjoy the match. Do you like the idea of Bray Wyatt as the new Mick Foley? Yeah, yeah. I think we talked touched on that a couple weeks ago. Um, I like it. I mean, as long as it doesn't get overdone, which you know they they tend to do, they tend to overdo things. But so far, it's been subtle enough to be enjoyable. So, by any chance, when I posted the preview inside of the reaction chat there, did you happen to see what I titled the episode, Tony? No, I I very rarely see the title, and I never read the description. Not on principle. I just don't have the time. You know, I go straight from Raw, try to eat something, (laughs) use the restroom, and get on the show before I run out of time. So, it's very hard for me to track everything. The reaction. July 6th, 2020, he's got kids. Oh, man. All right. You said this was going to be a sore spot for us on the show. Let's talk about it. Okay. So, look. I had a comment say that um, it's ridiculous to think that Heath Slater and Drew McIntyre would be a money-making feud that could main event a pay-per-view. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what the comment was saying. Uh, And it's because my reaction to this segment was that I hated it and because it was it, it was a glossed over story that had power to it, all for the sake of enhancing a feud that nobody's interested in. So I want to clarify that. Well, first I want people to know that I firmly believe that anybody, with the exception of a few people like Eva Marie or you know, just people that can't wrestle, um, anybody can be elevated to the main event if done properly and if the writers were good at their job. I mean, that's part of the writer's job is to make the unbelievable believable, to create characters that are so everlasting that you latch onto something and you just won't let go. So I disagree vehemently that Drew versus Heath cannot be a main event of a pay-per-view because I think that after Heath's promo, that's exactly what could have happened. And people would have been immensely more interested in that than anything that we've seen with Dolph Ziggler. So here's what we got tonight. Heath, as we know, is unemployed, as far as we all are aware. 
And because he has a non-compete clause, WWE technically can make him come back and do something like tonight. Um, so he comes back, he does this passionate speech, and he kills it, and he does great. And you think, all right, well, you know, one of two things. He's cutting the promo of his life to kind of let them know that he wants his job back, or he's doing Drew a favor to just kind of push the momentum up of his run. Now, from a wrestling standpoint, A, he gets hired back. What good is that going to do for him if he just got his ass kicked by a single Claymore? Not saying he should withstand it, but he didn't even get a match. Secondly, he wasn't dressed to wrestle. Um, and then B, let's say he doesn't get rehired. They, they literally use this to, to push a Dolph Ziggler feud, which we're just not interested in. And this didn't make you more interested at all. It was just kind of, I don't know. I felt like it was kind of tacky, to be honest with you. And I don't know. I'm just very, very upset that, A, this could have been a really good story that could have lasted a long enough time for them to have a really good match. Or, B, they they kind of used somebody (laughs) just to get a storyline across that sucks anyway. Okay. We're actually going to be contrarian here, and I think that's part of what makes this show fun. Because I actually thought that this was the perfect way to eat Heath Slater tonight. And here's why I say that. Heath Slater comes out of this looking like an incredibly sympathetic baby face when he does get his run on the independence. And there will be a run for Heath Slater on the independence after this, once the independents are able to start operating once again. Slater comes across as a guy who's likable, comes across now as a guy who can cut one hell of a goddamn promo when given the opportunity to do so and comes off as somebody that people can relate to because yeah the whole he's got kids thing was a comedy act before but legitimately he's doing this for his daughters he's doing this so he can provide a life for his daughters that he didn't have he talks about the fact that loyalty was everything to him that when drew got released back in 2014 Heath was there for drew anytime the wwe rolled through florida but when when Drew found out that Heath was gone, where was his buddy to stand up for him? You felt that. You felt like they could turn Heath Slater into a money promo or whatever name Heath Slater ends up using on the independence. I believe his real name is Heath Miller. Something like that. Regardless, B, I think this works from the level that we basically know Slater's next destination Rhino's been teasing in an impact for a couple of weeks now that he's got a tag team partner coming in who's got kids. Without coming out and directly saying his name, people know where that's leading. So it's not like Slater doesn't have a job lined up for once he's released. This is just an opportunity for him to come in and pick up another payday in addition to the downside guarantee that he's got from the 90-day no-compete clause. C, he is still technically under contract until... July, I think. So the WWE can use him to further the storyline here. Do I wish it was for something other than the Dolph Ziggler match? Of course. The Ziggler feud is stupid. We've seen Dolph and Drew before. (laughs) Drew's beaten Dolph's ass multiple times. We don't need to see it again. But the only reason we find ourselves in the Drew Max in the uh, Dolph Ziggler situation in the first place is because Jinder Mahal got hurt. Let me ask you this, Tony. Do you think that this segment would have played out the way that it did if Mahal hadn't gotten hurt and it would have been a reunion in the ring of 3MB? 3MB? And what would it have meant more to you if that were the case? 
I think that I would have had a similar reaction because I think that the WWE does not know how to make equally or even somewhat equally balanced characters. I think that because Drew's the champion, he is, in their eyes, so much better than Jinder, and he's to the point where he probably would have claymored both of them. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, Jinder probably deserves to be claymored. Sorry, Liz, we still love you. Yeah, I just it's unfortunate because I feel like it was a wasted story that could have been great. And I, I strongly believe that, you know, most of the good stories in wrestling are halfway written already because they're based off of, you know, emotion or characters that are already in existence. So seeing something like this be kind of squandered in, like, seven seconds is just, I don't know, it's upsetting from a writing standpoint. And maybe that's why I'm so bothered by it, to see a story not even be fully fleshed out that could have been something great. It's just... It, it's, see, it's weird for me hearing you react this way to a story because you said yourself you're not a fantasy booker, but in, to an extent here, you're kind of fantasy booking how you would have liked to see Heath Slater's exit handled. Well, I mean, I'm not giving details. I'm simply saying that, like I said, the story's already halfway written. And if you look at it from a business standpoint, what are you trying to gain here? Um, I think what they're trying to gain is you know, interest in Ziggler versus Drew, and that just didn't, I don't think that worked. It didn't work for me. Instead, I was interested in Drew versus Slater, and they're not going to give that to me, and that's upsetting. What if it comes out that this performance and that promo that he cut saved his job, much the same way Mac, uh, Drake Maverick's job was saved by the promo that he cut? Oh, I'd love it. But again, like I said, let's say they do hire him, you just made him lose in like, you know, five seconds. So, you know, Tony, I know how much came from. I know how much you love redemption storylines. They could do one with Slater. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know who had a lot of TV time tonight? Sasha Banks. You know who that Sasha. made very happy? Tony Arrows. Mm-hmm. So. Sasha and Bailey are backstage being interviewed by random interview later. I think it's I think it's Sarah Schreiber, but I'm not sure. It's not Charlie, so I don't care. I kind of tune her out. Yeah, and Bailey says really that true. instead of talk and Bailey says that instead of talking to random interview chick number three, they'd rather go have this conversation out in front of the fans. Real quick, Oscar comes in and random interview chick number three asks. Sasha, how she's going to handle a two-on-one disadvantage, and Oscar asks her, "Who says that I'm all alone?" Which we'll talk about when it happens, because I actually bit here, and I'll explain what I mean by that when we get to that particular segment. Oh, it's up next, actually. So that works out. <laughs> I thought there was a match in between, but apparently there wasn't. It's a long show. Anyway, yeah, so Sasha yeah. and Bailey come out. Oscar obviously comes out to interrupt. Bailey says that Sasha's ready to face anybody that Oscar has to throw at her. So Oscar brings back Kyrie Sane, who was removed from the advertising from this episode of Raw when they had a image posted originally on Twitter of Kyrie and Oscar's corner with Sasha and Bailey's corner, but then obviously they ended up making this as a singles match here. Um, did you, for any particular moment, think that it might be Io Shirai as her backup? Only for a split second, but 
it was a good feeling. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not really okay with what they did tonight because they made it seem like Kyrie's been gone forever, and they made it seem like they didn't advertise her off and on for the past like four days. So it just came off as hokey and eye roll inducing. You know what my favorite part about that whole segment was, Tony? What? There was absolutely no Nia Jax to be found. Yeah, I love that. I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to love that. This the the more we keep Kyrie away from Nia Jax, I think the better for everybody involved. Maybe not named Nia Jax. Kyrie and Sasha have a match. It goes approximately 13 minutes. Kyrie picks up a victory by disqualification when Bailey breaks up the Pirates' chest cloverleaf. What did you think of the match? Um, Eight stars? (laughs) Yeah, it's eight stars. (laughs) Honestly, it's to piss off the people. Um, So I I had the same thing, the same issue with this match that I did with the main event, and I'll talk more about that at the end. But um, in the first half of the match, Sasha got, like, a whole lot of offense, which this is coming from a non-biased point of view. Um, if you're going to wrestle, like, you know, I, I kind of want to see a little bit of a balance until one takes the upper hand or someone cheats or anything. Because it kind of, it just, it takes away the believability that somebody could win against the person who's getting all the love. There's often times where Sasha Banks gets what I call the John Cena booking in terms of the in-ring. And when you're facing someone like Fane, it it doesn't help anybody. And I think you know what I'm talking about. And of course, you're, you know, people are probably going to be very upset that I'm admitting to, you know, an unbiased point of view of Sasha. But when you get a wrestler who surpasses the in-ring activity to, to the point where they turn into uh, the Cena booking, I don't know. It's just, I'm not a fan. You know, they get their asses handed to them for 80% of the match, and then they, you know, end up coming out as the uh, plucky underdog to beat their opponent. So tonight... Um, you just had the kind of the opposite where Sasha basically beat down uh, Kyrie for a bulk of the match, and it just I don't know. I need a, I needed a little bit more balance. If it makes you feel any better, before it was the John Cena booking, it was the Randy Savage and WCW booking. Savage would get his ass kicked for like ninety percent of the match, and then hit hit a couple of clotheslines, a body slam, and a flying elbow drop, and it was see you bye. <laughs> I take issue with your match rating, Tony. Well, you think it's not enough? Clearly, that was a six-star match at best. Oh, well, I'm a little biased. You said before that Sa- the matches Sasha loses get rated lower than the ones she wins. <laughs> You're breaking your own goddamn scale, Melchers. Do what I want. All right, so what did you think of Kyrie's uh, insane elbow to the floor in the uh, aftermath? I thought that was pretty cool looking. Yeah, it was great. Backstage, Aleister Black gets his ass whooped by Seth Rollins and Murphy. So they took out the most interesting part of that match. Thanks. Backstage, Eric and Ivar are having a conversation when Big Show enters. 
I end up missing the rest of this segment because I have to use the restroom. Anything you can tell me about what happened? I saw Big Show and Ivar kind of shove each other a little bit, but I don't know what the hell happened. Um, okay, well, the Big Show did what he always does. Is he made everybody look like a little bitch. Um, there is one point, which I think is the most important point. So at one point, Angel Garza uh, yells at Andrade because he got pinned. No, 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 he, not, not, to the, not to the match yet, Tony, just the backstage segment. I actually did see the match. Okay, which segment are we talking about here? With just Flair and... Big show. Angel. Big show in the Viking oh, Raiders. Raiders. No, nothing happened other than him chopping them to, you know, get them reinvigorated for the upcoming match. Uh, real quick before we continue, um, a lot of personal bias involved in me saying this. Uh, congratulations to Eric. Yeah. I've worked, I've had the opportunity, as most of the listeners know, I've used to work as a play-by-play announcer for a local wrestling company. Uh, Pre-WWE, obviously, Raymond Rowe came into HBW on several occasions. There's actually an interview on YouTube that I conduct with him that people can find if they look for it. Just search for Raymond Rowe HBW if you're interested. And you'll see you're truly interviewing him. News came out today that him and his wife, Sarah Logan, the former Sarah Logan, now obviously Sarah Rowe, are expecting their first child. Yes, congrats to them and their baby Vikings. Kevin Owens is back after missing the last two episodes. wonder where he was. Hmm. Anyway, his guest is Seth Rollins. And Kevin Owens immediately throws it in Seth Rollins' face that he beat him at WrestleMania, which I thought was, well, pretty much what Kevin Owens would do in that situation. Owens, or excuse me, Rollins segues Owens' conversation about what happened to Seth at WrestleMania into what's going to happen to Rey Mysterio, formally issuing a challenge for a match at Extreme Rules. He then calls Rey out for their match tonight and questions who's going to team with Rey because, as we saw earlier in the show, Aleister Black was taken out. Kevin Owens conveniently happens to be in the ring and volunteers to be Rey's tag team partner. No, isn't it weird how that always works out, Tony? Yeah. I like how they keep trying to tease that Dominic might wrestle. It's like, I want to see it, but I'm worried. So, in addition, Kevin throws out the stipulation that whoever wins, whichever team wins the match, gets to pick the stipulation for the match between Seth and Ray at Extreme Rules. Overall, what did you think of the KO show here? And... Are you all right with this being the usage for Kevin Owens right now as he's only kind of integrating himself back into the storylines? I mean, I've always enjoyed Owens, and he, he does come off as the smart baby face, so it's fine. Seth being a spoil is something I'm no longer interested in. They had their time, and Seth is becoming more and more um, annoying. Uh, he needs a new fold into his character because it's getting tiring and lacking believability. Um but, no, this segment was fine. Really, the only thing that came off as troubling was um, the stipulation. That just, the idea is just, it's retarded. 
Um, do you think the lack of Austin Theory is hurting Seth? Because Theory kind of freshened up Seth's act a little bit, and now with Theory either dealing with uh, COVID, depending on who you believe, or dealing with the fallout of the Speaking Out campaign, Austin Theory hasn't been around on Raw for like a month now. No, I don't think it's hurting him. I think it was helping Theory more than it would ever help Seth. So it's not, you know, he would do better with, or he would do well with another disciple, but who do we got? You know, we don't exactly have a lot of people. Tag team match follows, Playa. And in the end, Ray picks up the victory on Murphy with a frog splash after Aleister Black distracts Seth Rollins from attacking Dominic with the crossface chicken wing long enough to get Murphy pinned by Rey Mysterio here. The stipulation, as you mentioned, is eye for an eye, and Ray promises to go Lucha Underground on a bitch and pull Seth's eye out with his bare hands. What does that even mean? (laughs) Buy or sell, this would have been the perfect opportunity to bring back the blindfold match. No. That's just that won't be good. No, that's horrible. <laughs> what can I say? I'm a sucker for the classic. In all sincerity, though, what did you make of the match? What do you make of the stipulation? What do you think it actually means? And just as importantly, do you care? No, they don't know what it means. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Eye for an eye. But you're really, what are you going to do? And this is what I think is going to happen. They're going to be something super cheesy and dumb. Seth is going to lose, and then he's going to start wearing an eye patch for, like, the foreseeable future. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's dumb. So you're calling for Captain Seth Rollins, pirate of the of the deep seas? Yes. One-eyed Jesus. The views and opinions of Tony Acero do not necessarily reflect those of us of the rest of us here at the Chairshot Radio Network. They are solely here as it are meant for presumably entertaining purposes. All right, anyway. Apollo Crews is apparently out of action. Yeah, what the fuck? I hope that's just storyline. <laughs> Either the boy got hurt again, which sucks for him. He caught the Rona, which sucks for him. Or they're doing this in order to make MVP look like a glorious douchebag accepting the new United States title. Speaking of which, what the fuck is that? You know, you know I usually of, I go ahead. <laughs> just real quick, I, just real quick here. You know, I usually like to give an opportunity for these new belts and stuff for them to have a chance to grow on me. Like the new Intercontinental title has kind of grown on me if only because I understood the reason why they phased out the other Intercontinental title they were using. Cody Rhodes. <laughs> I should get that cough checked out. Anyway, um, this new United States title was a fucking disaster. Like, what the fuck? What do you think of the new belt, Tony? I mean, look, it could have been the prettiest belt in the world, and it wouldn't have mattered to me. What's the point? Like, what, what is the point of this? Since when has MVP come off as a guy who wants to have a new title without earning it? Since when has he come off as a guy that, you know, um, doesn't want to regain and recapitalize on that belt? Like, what was the reason for this? Did, did they have a contract where they have to get a new belt, you know, from the belt guy? I don't know. It just comes off as, like, unnecessary completely. 
So, I, like I said, I, it could be the prettiest thing in the world, and I wouldn't care. Um, as far as my opinion on it, I I don't have one because I just I don't I don't care. Um, what's gonna happen when Apollo? I have another you know, question. MVP? I have another question. What does Lashley think about MVP getting his United States title opportunity that apparently MVP was trying to set him up for? Yeah, I don't know. Like, why is Lashley okay with it? Well, why would Lashley want the U.S. title? I don't know. Maybe, I mean, it's a title, so of course he wants to want it just because it's a title, but I don't know. He's put uh, Apollo Crews in the full Nelson the last two weeks. I would assume, presumably, that's because he's making a statement that he wants an opportunity at the belt. Yeah. Ricochet and Cedric are the opponents for MVP and Lashley here. MVP wrestling in street clothes, which I thought was a nice touch because it kind of fits the MVP character. I want to talk about the match, but I also want to talk... But but he, he wrestled really, like, safely, almost as if he didn't want to, like, mess up his shoes. It was, it was, it was interesting to see, because kayfabe, that fits so well. And then realistically, like, also don't want to mess up his shoes. I want to ask your opinion of the match itself, but I also want to talk to you about the backstage segment that airs a little bit later on in the show as well, because I think that this could lead to something potentially interesting down the line. Um, yeah, Cedric and MVP's little interaction, I love. I love MVP trying to, you know, fill his roster with people. Um, I also like the fact that if you don't, if you're not down, then, you know, that's fine, but I'm going to beat you until you're down. Yeah, I also think that we're going to end up seeing MVP kind of playing both sides of the fence here, trying to recruit Cedric and Ricochet. Yep. If only... And even if they, he doesn't end up recruiting either of them, he maybe at the very least puts some seeds of dissension between the two of them and causes them to break up as a team, and it's one less thing to have to worry about as a tag team threat for himself and Lashley. Yeah. What did you think of the tag match itself? Um, these are two guys that make Lashley look like a beast. So, uh, And also, I don't foresee them beating Lashley, so I wasn't upset that they got their asses handed to him. And they come off a, you know, they're going to they're gonna basically bust their asses to make Lashley look good, and they did that. So I enjoyed it. Sorry about that. A long day. Backstage segment right. with Jelena Andre. Backstage segment with Zelina Andrade and Angel Garza is interrupted by Ric Flair and then Randy Orton. Kind of cool for Andrade to be on the screen with his potential future father-in-law, depending on what does or doesn't happen. I mean, I I believe they're engaged. So that's kind of one of those moments that they even did a little fist bump, which I thought was cool. Like, let's be honest here. We don't know how much longer we have Ric Flair for. Yeah. Flair's no spring chicken, so any opportunity I think that Andrade gets to be on the screen with his potential future father-in-law is an opportunity that Andrade is going to relish. I did like the fact that Orton said that he's willing to team with those guys tonight, but if they step out of line, he has no problem showing them who the legend killer is. Yeah, and he did that. (laughs) This was a very, very good backstage segment that led into a six-man tag match the Big Show and the Viking Raiders taking on uh, Andrade 
Angel Garza and Randy Orton that man Orton grabbing Garza by the throat before that first commercial break holy shit was that intense yeah I, I wrote in the report that if they would have capitalized on that then he could really could have helped Garza with a lot like him taking that seriously and doing something different I'm not saying he did it um, he did but I, I just didn't want Orton to come off as like he's that they're his little bitches, and it could have been it could have come off that way, but um, it didn't. They did fine. I thought it was a, a good. A, not, just Orton's just on right now, and he has been for a while. I really enjoyed this six man tag match here, and I thought it made Orton look really smart picking up the tag late in the match, and then catching uh, Eric with the RKO for the victory. Uh, Viking Raiders don't really lose anything getting pinned by Orton here. I don't think. And especially in a six-man tag match, because the Viking Raiders honestly aren't going to matter in the tag team scene as long as the Street Profits aren't around. Which, by the way, where were the Street Profits tonight? I don't know. Anyway, overall, did you enjoy the six-man tag match here? And you mentioned the, the Angel Garza-Randy Orton thing. Do you think that this is an opportunity to do something with Garza in the future? Like, I know this motherfucker ain't trying to disrespect me like that. Yeah, I do think it's an opportunity, but I don't think that they'll capitalize on it. Um, the only it, it's hard for me to to expand upon my my annoyance with the Big Show because one must assume that the Big Show kind of you know should be doing this, but I just I don't like how easily he dispatches the guys we've seen for months, um, kind of put their foot down and make a staple of the show. Andrade and Garza have been, you know, for the most part, relatively consistent with their performances. And it sucks to have them, like, be the stars just to get their asses chopped down by Big Show once he decides to return for a one-off match with Orton. So it bugs me. But when you look at storyline and you look at the fact that the Big Show is a fucking giant, you can't, like, get too upset at the fact that he can headbutt and chop these guys down because, frankly, he's just bigger. So I'm at this weird, you know, impasse where I'm upset because, you know, he hasn't been around and it just, it sucks to have him come in here and seemingly stunt the growth of Andrade and Angel, who both are supposedly up for a tag team championship match, just kind of get dispatched really easily. But on the other hand, the big show's really big. So like, you know. I feel like that would be your justification, your brother's justification for why big show's like enjoys the push that he does. He's the big show, man. (laughs) All right. So there's a a backstage segment with Billy Kay and Peyton Royce talking about Ruby Riot. Ruby eventually walks into the scene to call them both dumbasses. And in a little (laughs) bit of character work that I absolutely loved from Ruby, stated that the sound of Billy Kay and Peyton Royce's voices made her neck twitch. And then once one of them started talking... Her neck actually twitched. Yeah. Yeah, Ruby was Ruby was great here. It was very, very small. The, just the mere fact of calling them dumbasses was awesome. And then um, her saying what you just said, that her neck twitched, and then Peyton going, that's a bit dramatic. Oh, that was great. That was so small, but perfect. Perfect for both characters. Do you think we're eventually leading to a reunion between Ruby and Liv Morgan to battle the Iconics here, and are you okay with it? We're, we're definitely up for a reunion soon. I don't know if it is to battle the Iconics, but I guess Live on Her Own isn't working. And, again, I've said it many times, it's 
it's not her fault. It's not the the performer's fault. It's very rarely the performer's fault, unless you're Eva Marie. That was a whole. That's her, that was 100 percent her fault. She just sucked. <sighs> I thought Eva Marie and NXT was gold, but that's just me. You were blinded by her red hair. She sucked everywhere. No, I wasn't blinded by anything. I never found Eva attractive. I thought the character worked in NXT. She just was. She just sucked. Like she's the only reason why her character works because she didn't know how to wrestle. The match itself, I'm going to be entirely honest with you. I was on the phone during the course of this match. I missed the entirety of it. I do know that Billy Kay picked up the win with the boyfriend stealer. The match itself wasn't that great, to be honest with you. Billy kind of stumbled a little bit and wasn't as crisp as we've seen over the past few weeks. Ruby did her part well. Um, this was just, I think, just a one-off misstep because both Billy and Peyton have been killing it. Um, but if we were to compare last week to this week, Peyton got the win for sure because Billy just didn't come off that great tonight. I would argue that Peyton's a better worker than Billy anyway, though. Oh, I would too, for sure. But I think a lot more people so, think the opposite, just judging by what I've seen. Nikki Cross is coming out to do commentary for the main event. Apparently, that whole whatever rule they instituted a couple of weeks ago or whatever is in effect here. And this is one of Nikki's yeah. four appearances. Yeah, we'll see how that works out. I will say I did like the fact that security was trying to shoo her away, and she's like, I'm just here to do commentary. Also, uh, do you remember J.P. Bragg's hidden highlights? Of course. Nikki Cross dancing to Oscar's music was fucking everything. Because it is totally yeah, within Nikki's character to do that. Yeah. Main event is champion versus champion, obviously non-title. Raw women's champion Oscar takes on SmackDown women's champion Bailey. In the end, Oscar catches Bailey in the Oscar lock. Bailey tries to counter out. Oscar counters her back into the Oscar lock. Sasha goes into the ring in order to attempt to break it up. Kyrie hits her with the pirate spear. Bailey escapes the Oscar lock, tries a waist lock roll up with the bridge. Oscar sits out and gets the pinfall. I didn't hate the match. I thought that these women performed well enough to earn the main event spot here. That being said, it kind of felt to me like they were holding something back in this match. What did you think? Yeah, okay. So my problem with this is what I kind of mentioned earlier with Sasha and Kyrie. Um, it happens with a lot of WWE matches. Like, it's happened for years from my perspective. And I think I have a really good perspective considering I'm writing out word for word move for move, what's going on. For whatever reason, they like to book around the commercial. And what that does, to be honest with you, is it makes the first half of the match seem somewhat unimportant. And that's kind of how I felt with this match. It was great. It was a really solid affair. But the first 10 minutes didn't matter all that much because they didn't matter all that much. Now, when you look at the second half of the match, it was jam-packed with action. There was no pausing. It, it was not full of rest holds, and when there were a rest hold, it mattered. Um, they had a great back and forth. Everybody who was interfering or part of an interference did their job. And it was solid. 
So what ends up happening is when you look at the match as a whole, it's not nearly as good as it could have been having without those few minutes in the front shaved off. Um, I think I'm going to get a lot of flack for it in the report this week because it just it wasn't as great as it could have been had there been some time cut off in the in the front end of it. And it's not because they're they're not capable of putting together a 20 to 25 minute match. I think it's just the way the WWE books their matches, where like they think a long match automatically equates to quality, and it doesn't. Uh, a a match that from beginning to end has quality does. And if you do a match and set a match up to where it doesn't matter for the first five or so minutes, then, you know, you kind of get what you got tonight. <clears throat> Am I right? <laughs> I muted myself and didn't realize it. I think we see it in such an abundance, though, that you kind of get numb to it, though. Like, you kind of come to expect it almost to an extent. Yeah, and what does that do? That makes you kind of tune out within the first 10 minutes because you're like, eh, we got, like, 20 minutes before the end of the show. This is the main event. We're fine. I will say that I thought the closing stretch was really good between the two teams, and I'm looking forward to the tag team title match next week on the show. Yeah. Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the fact that it looks like Kyrie might be sticking around a little bit longer here. Are you surprised to see her actually sticking around, or do you think she's still going to end up leaving sooner rather than later? I mean, I don't know. I don't follow those stories without any legitimate proof. If she wants to go back to Japan to be with her husband, then who am I to tell her, you know, no, stay or anything? She got her crack, her head cracked open by Naya, dropped in the corner by Naya. Like it's, you know. <laughs> Maybe going home is the best option for her. But with regards to her sticking around, the, yeah, the, the more she stays, the better. I want her to get her payday. I want to enjoy her work. And, you know, she's a great character. But if she also wants to leave, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that either. I feel like I feel like she came to an agreement with the WWE that she would stay as long as she's not booked with Nia anymore. Shit. I, I would love that to be true, if only because it shows <laughs> them that there is a problem. Like I don't want to, I don't want to keep getting in the ring with her. She keeps hurting me every time we get in the ring together. I will admit, right. I will admit real quick, I will admit that the step thing was not entirely Nia's fault. Right, but she's still at least partially to blame for it because of the way she threw Kyrie into the steps. Right, and that wraps up this week's episode of Monday Night Raw as well. All right, so overall show rating for SmackDown, Tony. Um, I think a seven, I think I gave it. I don't remember. I'm pulling it back up right now. I know you gave tonight's episode of Raw a seven, and I'm actually higher than you are on tonight's episode of Raw. I gave tonight's Raw an eight. Wow. You gave SmackDown a seven and a half. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I would be a little bit lower than you. I would be at that seven that you just claimed for SmackDown. I gave tonight's Raw an eight. I thought Raw was the better show this week. Okay. You gave tonight's episode of Raw a seven, so you went with SmackDown over Raw. Yeah, well, SmackDown's just a tighter, a nicely packaged, you know, deal, whereas Raw has a lot more room to kind of fail. I also feel like that opening segment really pissed you off, too. Yeah, it really bothered me. 
All right. Uh, favorite match or moment from the week, Tony? <clears throat> um, hmm. I'm going to go with Sasha's match on SmackDown. Did she have a match on SmackDown? I'm also... <laughs> Sasha wrestled. Sasha wrestled Alexa. Yeah. Hey, it's no worse than me saying that uh, Sasha wrestled um, Sonya Sonya Deville. I clearly didn't know what the mm-hmm. fuck I was saying that day <laughs> when it was Lacey versus Sonya Deville. But um, I'm also going to go with the match on SmackDown. But I'm going to go with the opening contest. I really, really enjoyed Matt Riddle and John Morrison. I will yeah, say this great. much so far. I will say this much so far for Riddle. Um, in terms of his actual in-ring appearances on SmackDown, he's two for two in terms of having really good outings. But the thing is, is it's been AJ Styles and John Morrison as the opponents. What's it going to be like right. when he has to step into the ring with somebody like a Baron Corbin or somebody like a <laughs> down the road like an Otis or something? Yeah, we'll find out. I think he'll be okay. Greg Watry. Um, but okay, so Greg Watry is for segments that we just thought were beyond dumb and horrible, and although Slater pissed me off, it wasn't dumb. I just think there could have been way more to be done with that. So I'm gonna pick the Jeff Hardy segment with the bartender and him swan Tony, and it's just like the whole thing was garbage. I'm going to go with Randy Orton stooging Akira Tozawa to help our truth get away. <laughs> I don't even know what that was. What? <laughs> Not I only did truth like Akira turning like, turning like just immediate servant, like yes sir master, like it just didn't. I don't know. It doesn't bode well for his character. Let's be honest. Akira is a cruiserweight. He's going to be treated like a bitch on the main roster, regardless. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's WCW 2000 all over again here, Tony. And then it's just the brakes for the cruiserweights. So, like, if we did T-shirts for the reaction, that would be a T-shirt. Anyway, we already gave our show ratings. Who's your MVP for the week? Um, MVP, to be honest with you. Just everything he says is gold and it's believable, and it's enough of the real person to kind of carry over into the show. Um, like, you, I don't know, you just believe what he's saying. You believe what he's saying to be true, and you believe that he believes what he's saying to be true. I'm going to go with Kyrie Sane for an inspired performance on both, on both her match against Sasha as well as, as a second for Asuka in her match against Bailey tonight. It was good to see Kyrie again, even if this is going to be one of the last times we get to see her. And much the same as you said earlier, despite how selfishly I may want her to stick around, if she's going back to Japan to be with her husband and her family, you kind of can't be mad at her for doing so. Right. Tony, you know I'm working on my watch through, right? I think I've told you about this, that I started back at the first episode of Raw and I'm trying to watch my way all the way through. Yeah. 
I have finally reached the last pay-per-view of 1996, WCW Starcade 1996. Wow. When I mentioned when I mentioned WCW, is there any one particular show that stands out to you? And we'll leave on this one. No, I I barely watched WCW. The only WCW I ever watched was after the fact, just to you know brush up on stuff. I'm enjoying kind of going back and getting that Monday Night War comparison, although you don't have the real feel of flipping back and forth between the channels and watching both of the shows at the same time, mostly because I'm worried about Eric Bischoff spoiling shit for me. (laughs) What a dick move that was. Overall, I'm enjoying the watcher, though. If people have the chance to do it, I highly recommend doing so because a lot of the older stuff yeah, a lot of it doesn't hold up, but a good portion of it does. And I'm actually entering one of the most underrated time periods for the WWF ever, the 1997 WWF run with the Hart Foundation versus Team Austin, as well as going into the first Hell in a Cell match, and then by proxy, Montreal and the birth of Mr. McMahon. Yeah. 1997 does not get nearly the credit it deserves for as good as it was. 1998 gets much more credit because that was when they fiscally turned things around. But if they don't have the performance in 97 that they do to get to 1998 in the position they were, WCW wins. Well, I'm glad you're having fun. I am. Where can people find you online, Tony? 411mania.com or on Twitter, TonyAcero411. How's TonyAcero.com coming along? Um, it'll be re- it'll be up again probably in August. I'm working on some stuff. I'm going to be taking a road trip soon. When's the book due out? Uh, I don't have a, a date yet, but if everything goes well, I'll be done by the end of the month. Have you been slowed down by everything that's been going on, or has it actually helped production? Um, at first it was fine, but then when I reopened the restaurant, you know, kind of put all the energy back towards that. And uh, so now I'm just trying to find the balance. Just remember, everybody, if you break a bottle over Tony Acero's head inside a Fronk, you will be banned for life unless he really, really fucking deserved it. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and, well, pretty much every other major website by looking for ATB the Eagle. In addition, Harry Broadhurst on Facebook as well, if you just want to search for my name there. Occasionally, I write for thechairshot.com. I'm hoping to start doing some more reviews again soon now that I have a computer that will work for me to do them. We'll see how that turns out. For the Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero, I'm Harry Broadhurst. This has been The Reaction, a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network, online at thechairshot.com. <laughs> Deuces, bitches was waiting for it. He was on a delay. I miss having that song to torture Andrew Belaz with. Shout out, Andrew. I hope you're listening. Hope you're doing well, buddy. I'm Harry. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next week. It's the go-home for Extreme Rules, so we'll have our predictions 
assuming real life doesn't get in the way, we end up having to cancel the show again. Sorry about last week. I got sick. That one's on me. My bad, y'all. I'm now turning into our truth as the show's wrapping up. Fuck it. I'm out of here. Chairshot.com, everybody. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head.